Tonight, I'd like to talk about adoption, biblical adoption. It's real common to hear speeches and, and sermons on things like salvation and all kind of other, the more obvious things, but you usually don't consider the idea of adoption and what it brings with it and why it works for that matter. So uh, beginning at Romans 10:17, it says, Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Hearing comes from the word. God uses words. He uses language to reveal himself, as we have seen in the many studies Jim has gone through. And for that matter, he also uses words to create all of creation, as all of creation is put together through his word. Uh, Matthew 13, verse 10 begins with, Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that way, that says, you will indeed hear, but never understand, you will indeed see, but never perceive. So God has given some the ability to understand using words, and to others, don't have the ability to understand. The vehicle remains the word, and that's the vehicle used by God to reveal himself. God uses specific words, words that are packed with, with meaning to us human beings. He uses the word father to refer, represent himself. He uses it repeatedly. The concept of father is something that all of us human beings have a pretty good grasp on. Those of us who have a good father know enough that we're blessed to have a good father. Those of us who haven't had a good one still wish they had. The point is, father, a good father, is a great thing to have. And therefore, God uses the word father to reference himself. As he uses the word wife, as a reference for Israel, sometimes referring to Israel as playing the harlot. He uses the word son to refer to Jesus as the son of God. And then the word I want to get to tonight is the word graft, which we see in multiple parts of the Bible. In Ezekiel thirty-seven fifteen, it says, The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, take a stick and write on it for Judah and the people of Israel associated with him. And then take another stick and write on it for Joseph, the stick of Ephraim, and all the house of Israel associated with him. And join them one to another onto one stick, that they may become one in your hand. And I'll stop at, at right there in Ezekiel, because I'm not talking last day events. I just wanted to bring up the point that God is a God who puts things together. And I want to show that it's God's nature to do that. He has done it in so many different ways. Adoption is the bringing of two into one. 
Gentiles were grafted in, in in Romans 11, verse 11. I'll tell you what, let's read this together because it can be clumsy if you're not looking at the print with me. Go please to Romans chapter 11, verse 11. And I will read from the uh, ESV. And I will try to pause here and there to allow us to catch our breath to, to drink in what's being said here. Beginning at verse 11 in Romans 11. So I ask, did they stumble in their order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? And he's speaking to Gentiles. In verse 13, he says, Now I'm speaking to you Gentiles, and as much then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. The root he's referring to here is, it would be Israel. Verse 17, and if some of the branches are broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, that would be Gentiles, were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, that is Israel branches, neither will he spare you. Note when the kindness and the severity of God, severity toward those who have fallen. But God's kindness to you, that is to the Gentiles, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you are cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? This grafting shows that it's God's nature to bring together and to fix and to save. And all this leads tonight to, to adoption. If we look at the salvation story presented in the Bible, we can look at it from many different angles because there's much material to work with. And I have heard people compare it as to looking to a diamond from different angles and seeing different aspects of the diamond. 
I can't speak to that myself because I don't know anything about diamonds, but so I've heard that depending on how you look at the diamond, you can see different things. And that's also true with the salvation story, and that's why tonight I'd like to focus on the idea of adoption. God chooses adoption to bring us understanding, and he brings us understanding with an emotional content because as human beings, those of us who have been through adoption know that there's quite a bit of emotion involved in there. Uh, You're taking someone who is in need of support and emotionally giving them the hug, giving them the place, giving them a family, bringing them into your family. And there's tremendous emotion wrapped up with this. And in doing so, God adds emotion to the salvation story. Many of us were taught history, I was one, by incredibly dull teachers who would just go through dates and some names and maybe even a few places. And if you've ever had the horror of having to go through that, it doesn't get much, much more boring than that. It's just awful. But then in eighth grade, out of nowhere, I ran into the teacher who started talking about why and how stuff fit together and why did certain things happen. Not just when did they happen and who was the leader, but why did it happen. And so for my first years in school up through seventh grade, I hated history. But then I ran into Mr. Haig, and he taught it differently. And he talked about why. He talked about some emotions behind it and why things happen. That's a whole other story. It gave me a love for history. And to this day, I'll actually read books on history just because I find it interesting. And likewise, when you're talking about God, find a way to make it interesting. There are things to talk about, about why things happen. When we talk about God, we must reach people. And if you talk about abortion, uh, not not abortion, excuse me, when you talk about adoption, there's a possibility that some people never heard it in such a direct fashion. Adoption is leaving one's family, typically the natural family, to go into another family. So as the Christians look at it, from the earthly to the family of God, That's quite a change in family attitude from the earthly family that we are born with to the family of God that we are adopted into. And one thing about all us saints being adopted into the family of God, we're all into the same family now, which kins us all. So uh, let's get along, shall we? (laughs) The nature of adoption often is going from a bad situation to a better one. We think of a child that maybe has lost his parents or for whatever reason the parent can't take care of the child anymore, going from a bad situation and getting adopted into a much more secure family. But the Christian life, how much more is that? Because we're not just going from bad to better. We're going from lake of fire to child of God, adopted into the beloved That's a big, big gap. Romans 9, starting at verse 21, one of my favorite points of of, uh, the New Testament. It says, has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? 
And what if God, desiring to show his wrath and make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory? Even us, whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. And indeed, he says in Hosea, those who are not my people, I will call my people. And her who was not beloved, I will call her beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. That whole passage is about vessels made out of the same clay, where some vessels are fitted for destruction, but yet some vessels are adopted for glory. And ultimately here at the end of verse 26, they will be called sons of the living God. That is adoption. Made from the same clay, but chosen and adopted by election. Now if you go to Ephesians 2, I'm going to read the whole chapter on Ephesians 2 because I couldn't find a way to break it down. So let's read Ephesians 2 together, and it will end up, I'll tell you how, how she ends, uh, on the, the household of God and about being adopted together. So beginning at verse 1 on Ephesians 2, And you were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Notice, he said, we once walked that. We were never innocent, but we once walked that following in the course of this world. We're all guilty. Verse 3, among whom we all once lived with the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages we might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And here it brings things together. The subheading is one in Christ. Verse 11, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off 
have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. The household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So there in Ephesians, we are members of the household of God. It is said repeatedly, the most profound act of adoption is not the adoption of a human to another human, but the most amazing act of adoption is God adopting humans. God adopting sinful humans because there's no other kind. That's the amazing act of adoption. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 and 5. This is all one sentence, and this is, this is a remarkable sentence. If you had to, to work the Bible down to one sentence, this is not a bad place to be here. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Look at the ground this sentence covers. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those. God paid with his only son. The ransom was Christ himself. And God sends his son as redemption. In ancient times and to probably to a degree today, when a kingdom was taken, one of the things that the conquerors would do was to get a hold of the sons, the surviving sons of the king. So they would not only put the king to death, but they would put all his sons to death. We saw this with Zedekiah and Jeremiah 52 when Babylon went to the trouble not only of blinding Zedekiah, but killing all of his sons so there would be nobody picking up the mantle and moving on. Think about that. As all the sons were killed off, the only begotten son of God himself goes to the cross because our sin is so great, only he is capable of paying the price of our sin penalty. And human beings the first thing they would do is kill all the sons to make sure they would stop the king 
and God gives his son to the cross. And because you are sons, then God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Notice in this phrase, this is Galatians 4, 6. He starts with, because you are sons. He says that first. That indicates what we are. That's the indicative. And once, then, once again, we see the indicative being said first. So because you are sons first, then God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. It happens after the adoption, after we're sons. So when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoptions of sons. There are legal issues in this verse in Galatians 4.4. The sentence construction indicates that there are legal issues that need to be dealt with before we can receive adoption. It says here that God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem. Romans 6.23 says that for the wages of sin is death. And because we're all sinners, we are all due death. The story of the kinsman redeemer says that a male relative who, according to various laws found in the Pentateuch, had the legal standing to act for a relative who was in trouble or in danger, or in need of vindication. So God sent his son, born of a woman, that makes him kin to us, makes our kinsman redeemer. He is born under the law, so he has legal standing for what is going on, and to redeem those who are under the law. Jesus has legal standing to pay for the sin, because the price to pay for the life of the first and only born son of the almighty God, that price was huge. Romans 8.14 says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery, that is, the law or ministry of death, to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry Abba Father and that is a very personal very intimate thing to use that word Abba Father you didn't see that used in the Old Testament it was just just too close a way to deal with an almighty God but you see it in the New Testament in Romans the spirit himself bears witness to our spirit that we are children of God and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. We are seeing adoption as sons over and over in the Bible. I'll add in here that because of the way things were looked at back 2,000 years ago, we could just as easily put adoption as uh, men and women, boys and girls, it all fits here. It's just the nature of what was written and translated back then is all male-oriented. We have changed somewhat, so please don't think that I'm leaving any of the women out here. Understand that adoption was at the heart of the salvation plan, right at the heart of it. 
Ephesians 1.3 said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. Boy, I'll say that's grace, to be adopted into the family of God and, and, and as bought for saints, we are adopted children of God with which he has blessed us in the beloved. He predestined us for the adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. That is at the very heart of God's plan of redemption. And because God planned it, we can be secure because it's for his purpose. It is for his glory. And angels look on in amazement as God adopts sinners like you and me. And I can imagine they're just thinking to themselves, what grace that God would adopt somebody like Tom. In 1 John chapter 3, he says, See what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that they do not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, for we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. That's 1 John 3. We should be called children of God. One author after another after another speaks of it that way. We are children of God, adopted by God, recipients of his grace and mercy. It has been decided. It is secure. The almighty God of the universe considers us his children. So why would somebody who is a child of God, go to legalism. That makes no sense at all. Does the law of Moses mean anything to Jesus? Why should it mean anything to us? We're children of God. The ministry of death, not interested. We are adopted children. What a God we serve that he would do this for us that he would take sinners like us and give us such a close relationship with the Almighty that we're part of the family, an adopted part of the family, sharing in the glories with Jesus. That's a long way to come from the sinners we are. It's hard to really imagine that. Fortunately, he gives us the concept of adoption, which some of us are, are familiar with here on earth. But still, it's a long way to go to be adopted from, from desperate sinner through the lake of fire all the way to, to child of God. What a God we serve. 
something, Carol? Hasn't God something? You think about how far we go. You look at some of the goings on in the world today. Look at the Middle East on the news. Look at how depraved humans can be. And there we were too. We're no better than that, really. But with the Spirit, Holy Spirit in us, with God coming to us, and God changing us a piece at a time, knowing that we're adopted, knowing how the end works out, knowing that our salvation is secure and our adoption is secure as children of God. What a God we serve. Isn't He something? Isn't he something, Internet? (laughs) (laughs) I I look at the the human concept like this. I I like to be able, if I can, when I'm considering things, to put flesh and blood and realism on it. And that's why it sometimes helps to have uncomfortable experiences. Because if you have had some uncomfortable experiences in your life, it makes it a little bit easier to feel some of the passion and to feel how far God has gone for us, how far he has come down from his heavenly throne to draw us to him. Because we can't move in his direction, not a step. And yet he comes down to get those who are adopted, his adopted children, his adopted men and women and boys and girls. That should give you a whole lot of comfort, a whole lot of contentment to know that it's already been decided. If your name's in the Lamb's Book of Life, right next to it, it might as well be adopted child of God. Me too. I'm glad God decided to do that because it puts more passion on things. I don't want to be taught the Bible like my history teachers used to teach me history. This is not boring stuff. And you can get into very deep emotions when you talk about adoptions, that somebody would come to you in a desperate shape, whether it's pulling you out of water right before you're about to drown or before you're about to be taken off for bankruptcy or or whatever the problem is. God has already taken care of things. Not only are the little things like our electrical bills taken care of, but when you're the adopted son of God, how bad can things get? So, yeah, you, you might run into the occasional speed bump now and then, and there might be a few things in life that are a bit, di- a bit difficult. But you're still adopted son, adopted woman of God. It doesn't get any better than that. Being saved is a wonderful thing. But when you add on top of that being adopted into, the, into God's family, it, it just, just gets better and better. And that's why I chose to do adoption tonight. I think it's a great subject, and it reaches me emotionally. And, and to know that the adoption doesn't happen just because I, I make a proclamation of faith, but the adoption happens before the foundation of the earth. And it's just as secure as my salvation is. What a God, what a God. Thank you. <laughs>